Welcome back to Theory <laughs> Pre-Med. This is a podcast following the journey of three pre-med students, Mo, Todd, and Nathan. We talk about their path and experiences as we bring in guests who will connect pre-meds worldwide. If you're also thinking about med school or healthcare, our podcast will give you the ultimate student perspective. Also, thank you to the Chapman Radio for giving us a space to record today. You're already a <laughs> awesome. professional. That was perfect. Nice. Amazing intro. Wow. wow. I'll take that back. <laughs> there you go. So you're the first guest to ever read the intro. So congrats oh on that. I'm so honored. Thank you, guys. <laughs> but today we have Shun Kato, one of the professors here at Chapman University. He graduated last year from Chapman. Um, one of the best students Chapman has ever had. Um, <laughs> Record breaking. Probably even the best. <laughs> the best. The I best. I know about all that. Um, all right, Shin, let's get right into it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now. Why are you on the podcast? Yeah. So, hello, everyone. My name is Shun Kato. Mo, you Kato. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm your professor. Kato. Sorry. Um, and I actually graduated in 21 also, so... Two years, ago. two years ago. <laughs> so bad, <laughs> bad start. Maybe I should be the host of this <laughs> yeah, podcast. Honestly, but everything is wrong. So I graduated in 21, uh, biochemistry and molecular biology, and minor in health sciences. Last year, I took part in a fellowship that Chapman University has to offer called Shinyo N Fellowship, in which we get to choose a nonprofit organization of our choice to work with for the entire year. Uh, it's fully funded by the Shinyo N Foundation. And this year, I was offered a position to teach Bio 208 Lab here at Chapman University, as well as Sci 320, where I met these two lovely gentlemen over here, Mo and Todd, and they are <laughs> my current students. And through that class, we go to Higher Ground Youth and Family Services, the same organization that I worked with during my Shinyo and fellowship to go teach underserved youth about STEM, everything STEM and uh, hopefully inspire a few kiddos from over there to maybe pursue a career uh, down the line in anything STEM-related. So that's a little bit about me. That's awesome. Well, there's a lot more to uncover. And honestly, I'm super glad that we're taking the class that we're part of now. It's honestly an eye-opener to what there's out there and what we could really get involved in. And I'm super excited to be part of it. And I know Todd is. It's honestly one of the best ways to end the week. Um, so first things first is... I want to get into your story. How, why did you pick medicine? Awesome. So, yeah, I just want to preface this by saying that all of what I say today is professional <laughs> advice. If you don't do what I'm doing right now, you're not going to get into medical school. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. We take uh, this that very is, seriously. That is the exact opposite <laughs> of uh, what I'm going to try to get across today. I think my path has been a little different from traditional pre-meds and uh, I just want to be as open. I think this will be the most open I've been uh, in a public setting about my journey. So if anybody is in the same shoes that I am or I was at any point, I just hope that I give you a little bit of inspiration to keep on fighting and keep on going and pursue that uh, journey into medicine. So in order to get a good idea for who I am and kind of my journey, I think I should start by saying I was born in Japan. Uh, I moved here when I was three years old. So in my household, uh, I only speak Japanese and I kind of struggled a lot growing up uh, fitting in. I grew up in a very affluent part of San Jose, California, mm. and it was a predominantly a white Caucasian neighborhood. All of my friends are white and Caucasian that I grew up with. And so I always kind of struggled with my Japanese identity growing up and kind of neglected my parents and 
didn't really include them in all of my life events. Whenever I had birthday parties to go to or I had birthday parties, I just wanted them out of the picture. And this kind of kept continuing on until uh, this is kind of my first introduction to medicine, but my mother was diagnosed with stage two breast cancer when I was in sixth grade. And obviously as a 12 year old, 11 year old, you know, you don't know anything about cancer. You just know that you absolutely hate this thing. Uh, my mother went through chemo, radiation, everything. And um, all I could do as an 11 year old was kind of just sit there and feed her watermelons, which she loved watermelons and that's <laughs> all I could do. And so, um, yeah, that was my first introduction into medicine. And that's also the point in my life where my Japanese identity and my family kind of came back together. Uh, this gave me a perspective on sickness and people's health of, you know, sickness is this terrible thing. Obviously, I don't wish sickness upon anyone. And, um, but it has this amazing capability to bring a community together. And at that point, my father, who worked for a Japanese company, so he was working uh, Japanese hours, which is 16 hours ahead. And so he'd leave uh, pretty early in the morning before I'd wake up, come back pretty late at night before or after I fell asleep. So I never really saw him. But when my mom got sick, um, it really turned around and he really took on a lot of responsibilities at the house. So my family came together. I just had this appreciation for life and my mother uh, and uh, really brought unity into my life in terms of my Japanese American identity and also my love for my family and community. Uh, and so, sorry, this is a super long introduction to who no, I am. You're, you're good. But I just want to give you all the full story and then we can dive into any specific details yeah. uh, that you might have. And so coming into high school, right? Um, as any kind of child going through their teenage years, I didn't really like school. Uh, I all, what? Yep. <laughs> all I wanted to do was play soccer, hang out with my friends. Uh, we, you know, my parents, although traditionally Japanese, I, I, I was pretty rebellious. And so I wouldn't never had a curfew. Even if I did have a curfew, I wouldn't follow it. I'd come home super late at night, maybe not even come home. Wouldn't really tell my parents where I was and probably doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing at that age. And uh, this kind of mindset. So I, obviously I wasn't the best in school. I, to be completely transparent with you all, I got a C minus in AP chemistry. And then during my time at I Chapman D, University. I got a D in oh AP my bio. gosh. I know. Okay, well, we, can, we can uncover that oh, later. Wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> um, but this kind of planted this mindset into me that school's not for me. Uh, I can't do it. I also had a brother who was very intelligent, very successful. He went to UCLA, got accepted into uh, several Ivy League schools. And so there was always this kind of comparison between him and I. Um, I felt that I was, you know, my big ego tells me I'm the more athletic one and he's the more intelligent one. Uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> This, again, planted this mindset of I'm not good at school. So when I applied to college, I applied pretty widely and unfortunately wasn't accepted into any UCs. And mm. uh, I was actually deciding between San Diego State and Chapman University. Uh, I wanted to stay in California, but didn't want to stay too close to my parents. And so I was looking at Southern California schools. And I had two very, very different experiences visiting both of these schools. So... 
one of my buddies from high school, an upperclassman, was at San Diego State, and uh, he was in one of their top fraternities there. And so when I visited San Diego State, I uh, visited him. I stayed with him at the fraternity house, and you know, the, the, you know how it goes. And <laughs> I had that experience at San Diego State, and then when I came to Chapman University, I applied as a kinesiology major. So I started off in Crean, and then. Uh, Dr. Sumita was there on the oh, Chapman preview day, and I was like, hey, that guy's Japanese. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of like this school already. Uh, you know, as I, was, as I was getting more in touch with my Japanese culture, and uh, when I was walking around campus, it seemed like everybody knew each other. It seemed like it was a tight-knit community. I know everybody says this, but I truly believe it. Um, and that gave me this feeling inside, this gut feeling that, oh, this is where I'm supposed to be, not San Diego State, or else I'm not going to take school seriously again and probably go down a path where I'm not making the right decisions for myself. And so that's how I came to Chapman University. And once I came to Chapman University, my first semester, I poured my heart and soul into academics, and I achieved a 4.0 for the first time in my life. And Yay. I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this school thing's not that bad. I can actually do it, right? And uh, so... I was, everything was going great, and I think that was right around when I first got my first volunteering opportunity at St. Joseph's Hospital. And I was like, okay, I just had to change my mindset, and this is all going well. I still wasn't sure if I wanted to go the pre-med route or if I wanted to do PT, as I was an avid athlete my whole life. And so I was still kind of figuring everything out. But then the spring of my freshman year, I think this is really... Uh, why I am pursuing medicine today. I, I lost a childhood best friend, uh, Kyle John Taylor, to sudden cardiac arrest. Mm. And, you know, I told you about the time that I was kind of the caretaker for my mom when she got sick, and I felt like I couldn't do anything. I was just feeding her watermelons. This, this same exact feeling, but maybe 20 times worse, uh, when I walked into the hospital in the ER, and I just see my best friend laying there. Um, same peaceful look that I've, I've known for years. I, I played soccer with him for eight years. He lived right down the street from me. We pretty much spent every single day of our elementary to high school days together. Um, so we had a lot of sleepovers. It's that same peaceful look that he has when he's sleeping, but uh, this time he unfortunately wasn't going to wake up. And so that at that moment, I was... I made, kind of made a promise to myself, like, I, I need to pursue medicine. Um, I've known too many sick people. Uh, also, a little bit of background, all four of my grandparents have had or passed away from cancer uh, in their life. And so sickness has been all around me my entire life. But when I saw my best friend laying there, um, that was the point where I chose medicine. And... The more you look into sudden cardiac arrest after that, the more you realize that it's actually kind of preventable, right? Um, you hear a lot of these random stories here and there about high school students passing out of practice, high school football players or whatever athletes passing out of practice, and then they unfortunately pass away. Um, and the more we looked into it, uh, the more of these statistics that we see that one in 300 youth have an under lying uh, heart condition wow. that puts them at risk for sudden cardiac arrest. And these underlying conditions can actually be caught with heart screenings. 
so EKGs, ECGs, echoes. And this planted a seed in his mom. Uh, I, I kind of owe all of my whatever, I don't want to call it success, but my motivation to her. She looked into it and she found all of these nonprofits throughout the country uh, who provide free heart screenings to youth in their community. Uh, it, all parents who lost their loved ones or maybe even had a loved one survive from sudden cardiac arrest start a foundation in their honor to give these free heart screenings to the community. And through that, um, I kind of found a purpose. We work with a lot of cardiologists and I Every time we have a heart screening, I do all the EKGs and I kind of shadow the cardiologists as well. And I was like, okay, um, this is giving me the purpose in my life that I need. If I can save one more child, a uh, friend, loved one, brother, son, daughter, sister, from having to suffer the same loss that Jennifer, uh, Kyle's mom, or all of us did, uh, then that's going to make my life meaningful. And so ever since then, uh, I have been working very hard with the Kyle J. Taylor Foundation. Uh, we're located in Northern California. And I started my own branch here at Chapman University called the Be Kind to Your Heart Foundation during the spring of my senior year, I believe. And we successfully had a heart, our first heart screening at Chapman University last year uh, in the fall as well. So very long introduction to me. I hope nobody has checked out yet. I apologize for Our that. Our podcast is over. Yeah. <laughs> Let's us. go home. No, but thank you so much for being open about that. And I have to say, with the with the heart screening, there was so many donuts, an insane amount. Like it was crazy. That's that's the one thing we made sure we had enough was yeah. was the donuts. No, but that, that whole heart screening was amazing. I I, I think how many, you guys got a lot of students coming out for that. We screened a total of 121 students, yeah, and then we crazy. identified, I believe, four with potential heart conditions, and we recommended for follow ups for card with cardiologists. So, yeah. all free of wow. charge too. That's the amazing part about it. Yeah. You guys brought out doctors. You guys had the PA school come out. I mean, it was a whole, like, thing. And I, I was just being just there as a volunteer. That was, like, an amazing experience. So I can't even imagine, like, what you kind of felt being able to kind of, like, take charge on that. Put that on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing your story. Um, that was really inspirational and, and powerful. I think a lot of our listeners will probably um, resonate with that. I myself, like, I've definitely felt felt that kind of feeling of, like, power uh, powerlessness. Like, um when, with your experiences with your mom and your friend where you feel powerless to like help them you know and you want to do everything you can to um make make it so that it never happens again in your eyes right yeah um so thank you so much i think uh, we all kind of can relate to that so absolutely yeah. i i don't mean to kind of give like the typical like oh i i have a bunch of sick people in my life and that's why no. i got into medicine but i think every person's story is unique and um uh, if anybody can relate to it in any way, that's that's awesome. So, yeah. but. but I think that goes to show, like, no matter whether you're a college student, your your family member, whatever it is, like, if you have something in mind and you have a goal, you're able to achieve it. It just takes time and effort. I mean, the amount of paperwork and like people you had to get through to make that happen was insane. But your dedication to it, your 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 want to achieve that goal, is what got you to being able to create this achievement, and it's amazing. Um, but on a kind of like more recent news, right? You were accepted into med school, 
which multiple is med schools. multiple med schools <laughs> had multiple interviews. And I think this is something that a lot of us don't really know how that process works really because we haven't gone through it. I think it really takes that first time going through it to really recognize all the hardships of it, all the difficulties and the successes too. Um, like right now, like whenever I think of med school, I'm like, the day I get accepted, I don't know why I have this vision. I'm like, I'm going to be in a parking lot and get a phone call. Was it a phone call? Was it an email? <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't a phone call, and okay. I kind of got tricked for that a little bit too, because the <laughs> ad com people during our interview was like, "Oh yeah, I've talked to so many people over the phone, and you know they start crying or whatever." <laughs> so I was expecting this grand moment of like, "Oh my god," getting a phone call from a random number, and then pick up, be like, "Oh my gosh," doesn't <laughs> that happen. Doesn't happen. Man. No, it's uh, it's unfortunately an email that says your portal has been updated. Okay. So. <laughs> Your portal has been you, updated. You dive into the portal uh, and... Um, so they didn't say congratulations. Yeah. Man, <laughs> they really make you work for it. Yeah. Um, before I dive into this, uh, great question, Mo. Uh, but I do want to shout out my team at Be Kind. I, I, I wasn't the one going to all those meetings, getting all those paperwork done. Cindy uh, Hoy, Ashley Okavat, those two superstars uh, really were my support system through the whole heart screening process at Chapman University. So I do not want to take the credit for that. I think I just planted the seed there, and it was all them and all credit is due there. So I just wanted to say that. Uh, Sydney, Ashley, if you're listening, <laughs> I miss you guys. But uh, And so back to your question. Totally. Uh, so with all the med school stuff, let's just start at the, at, the, at the beginning with the application process. When starting it, what were you feeling? I mean, what were some difficulties you had with it? What are some, looking back at it, what are some things you would change about it? And that's a lot of different questions, but just thinking about the application process, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Hmm. Great question. I do want to maybe preface the application process with maybe a little bit of my statistics that might be helpful for listeners out there. So I know Mo and Todd kind of hyped me up to be this 4.0 <laughs> student and, you know, everything. But I will be completely open. This is, again, the most open I've been in a public setting. But I had a 3.7 GPA. Uh, when I lost Kyle, I kind of struggled with mental health issues. And so I skipped a lot of class. And uh, it wasn't until about the pandemic hit that I really kind of found my groove again in academics. And so, um, again, I, I mentioned that I started my first semester off with a 4.0, but it really did dip after that second semester. And i uh, happy to even bring it back up to 3.7, to be honest. Uh, that yeah. was mainly in my junior and senior year. And so I did have a 3.7 GPA, and my MCAT was a 5.12. And I am a retaker, so I took it once, got a 5.09. I knew I could do better, so I took it again, and I got a 5.12. So I just wanted to start with that. I know a lot of people are kind of like nervous about sharing their info, but you know, again, I'm I'm in, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, you're in. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, now it gets all white. Now you I don't do care if you guys <laughs> judge me for my GPA and my MCAT. We're no, not judging you at all. <laughs> you're not yet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that's really important to preface. Yeah. Appreciate um, the transparency. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, as my story can kind of tell, I was pretty heavy in community service uh, with my own nonprofit, with the Kazuya Taylor Foundation, and the Shinyoen Foundation Fellowship that I briefly mentioned a little earlier. Uh, 
And when I think about the application process, I direct, I, my mind sh goes straight to the lack of confidence that I had when I was sending in my applications. So to give you perspective, I got a 509, my first MCAT, the April before my application cycle. Uh, the cycle opens around June, or the application opens mm -hmm. around June. You're actually pushing it back to May now. Really? Yeah, during finals week. Oh my gosh. Yeah. As if it's not hard enough already, right? Um, That's terrible. <laughs> But yeah, so I got my 509 score around April, and then I was really faced with this tough decision of, do I apply with a 509? Um, do, do I take another year to study for the MCAT? But to, again, give you perspective, I was averaging around 515, so I knew I could do better. I'm not gonna come out here and say I was averaging five, 525, <laughs> 526. Um, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I was averaging around uh, a 515, so I, I knew I could do better. And uh, I talked to a few friends that have already applied and were uh, accepted during my application cycle. And they all kind of convinced me like, hey, you, you know you're, you're capable of doing it. And if you spent your whole life maybe not my whole life, but a big portion of my life preparing for this, why not put your best foot forward, right? If I know that I can score higher um, and I have the potential to, just do it. And so I actually retook the MCAT late May. Yeah, so I didn't even get my second score back until late June. And as you know, the application opens June 1st for my year. And so I kind of sent in my primary application blind of not knowing what my second MCAT <laughs> score is, which scary. was nerve wracking for <laughs> wow. sure. And um, so I was, yeah, the lack of confidence was the biggest thing. It's like, okay, my GPA, not the best. Um, I've heard of terrible stories where like people at other schools have like a 3.7 and their med advisors like, don't even apply to med yeah. school. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so, <laughs> and so that, that goes to say that the supportive uh, mentors that we have at Chapman who never put me down like that. But I applied with the 3.7 and a 509 MCAT and sent in my primaries. Started getting secondaries back around late June, early July. And then by then I had gotten my second MCAT and I was a little relieved, I was still a little disappointed. Uh, 512 is a great score, everybody, don't get me wrong. Just for myself and what I was scoring on my uh, practice tests, I was disappointed in myself. 512 is a great score. But, uh, so yeah, I got the secondaries back and I got my MCAT score back around the same time. A little bit of relief, a little bit of still lack of confidence and then I, Applied to around 20, I want to say 22 schools all over the country uh, based off of that MCAT score. So how it works is like you send in the primary, it takes a few weeks to get verified, right? And so you don't even have to pick what schools to apply to at that point. I'm sure you all know this, but just in case somebody out there doesn't know, you don't have to pick what med schools you're applying to at that point. You can pick after your primary application gets verified. So that's around late June. And once I got that 512 back, I based all the schools that I was applying to based off that score and what seemed realistic to me, but also threw out a few applications to definitely reach schools that I wasn't going to get into, but I was like, hey, you never know, right? And so I applied to a total of around maybe 22 schools, and that means 22 secondary applications, which means 
close to maybe four grand, five grand that I spent on applications. <laughs> wow. And then if you include MCAT studying and all the resources that you have to pay for, I think for my application cycle, probably spent close to like six grand on everything. Um, we won't dive into all the issues with that, but I'll keep going. And uh, <laughs> so oh, 20 I had to do it once. Yeah. <laughs> 22 secondaries. It definitely sounds very intimidating, right? Like it's like, where do you start? Uh, that was something I struggled with, but it was nice because once I started with the ones that I found that I really wanted to go to, those were typically the more difficult ones to get into, right? And they ask very difficult, thought-provoking questions. And so once I had those down, I could actually kind of manipulate those secondary essays to fit the other schools as well. So I know it's intimidating at first, but uh, for those of you that are about to go through the cycle, uh, just get that first one done, and then uh, it becomes easier from there. So I applied to 22 MD schools and no DO schools, not because I have anything against DOs. I think DOs are great, but I was just burnt out after the 22 applications for the MD schools. And then after you send those secondaries in, it's just like, woo, <laughs> uh, it's out of my hands now. And it's uh, a lot of months of constantly checking your emails, uh, waiting for an interview invitation, and a lot of anxiety all the time best advice I've ever got was stay away from Reddit and SDN during that time because <laughs> you just see people getting all their interviews like a week after they submit their secondaries and you're just sitting there like waiting for that first one. So I didn't I actually didn't get my first interview until like a week before Thanksgiving. Wow. So, so it was a while. November. Yep. It was about three to four months until I got my first interview. Dang. I would lose my mind. I know. I was, I was going through it, guys. Mm. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I got one that week, and then I think the next day I got a second one. So I was like, I, I called uh, Dr. RG when I got my first one, and then after the second one as well, and she was like, when it rains, it pours. And, uh, <laughs> I was like, true, like, what it to you. Yeah, and then uh, I scheduled my interview for early December, and so I just had those two interviews early December, and uh, those were for Chicago Med, also known as Rosalind Franklin University and Drexel University. And I believe I was accepted into both, I want to say, March-ish. So it was like a two-month turnaround. And then right around February, I got an interview from OHSU. I don't know if I can name drop all these. Yeah, I, I feel yeah, like it's fine. It's fine, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> good. Um, but around February, I got the interview, um, and I interviewed late February, February, early March, and they just got back to me two weeks ago. So that was also like a two-month. It's crazy how much they make you wait. Yeah. So much anxiety. To make sure you really want it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, that's not the case for everyone, though. I have heard of people like getting a acceptance like a week after their interview and stuff. So I think I, because I was sort of late in the application cycle, I sent in my secondaries a little later than everybody else just because of that MCAT score and everything. Uh, so I was on the later side. But... Uh, yeah, and then Michigan State came around early March, 
got my acceptance there. They were the quickest turnaround. I think I got it within March, so it was a few weeks. And then, yeah, I was visiting Drexel the day I got my acceptance into OHSU, which is where I am going to be going. And They're ever since then, you. I thank you. Thank you. <laughs> ever since then, I haven't. Uh, I, I wasn't going to waver off of OHSU. And so I did recently get an interview from California North State as well, but I think I, I will decline that and uh, just go to OHSU. Uh, for background, my parents just moved up to Tigard, which is 20 minutes out from Portland, where OHSU is uh, during mm -hmm. the pandemic. So they'll be super close to me. And Perfect. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, what's blowing my mind is you didn't you didn't have like a 528 and like a 4.0 GPA to get in. I mean, that's I just know. that's kind insane. of low though. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Do people still get in with that score? <laughs> uh, I think I think they just pulled my name out of a hat or something and, and got it. He's got lucky. He's got lucky. Yeah, I just that's got lucky. <laughs> um, one question I want to ask about like the cycle is, how long were you? Did you spend writing secondaries once you got them? Because I feel like. I hear people like just two weeks, right? That's what they or like how or I guess how many hours per day did you spend like writing? Hours per day. Todd always asking the hard questions. I don't Sorry. remember that far <laughs> back. But I would say majority of my days, so like, maybe upwards of five, six hours. Wow. Were either looking at it, rereading it, or writing okay. secondary applications. And my turnaround for the schools that I was really interested in, it was pretty quick, like maybe a few days a week. Uh, mm. But some of them that I was like, okay, I can take a little more time on these ones. It was, I think, as uh, late as a month. Well, I'll go. Yeah. So. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I just imagine it. It's like, I could just imagine write, like waking up, writing, like breakfast, write, lunch, write, dinner, write, and then go to bed and then do that and the next it, day. Just, <laughs> like, the fact that like you're doing all those hours of work and it's not even like a guaranteed in. That's I mean, if you think about it, most of the time you're going to get rejected. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's kind of <laughs> just courtesy that they send out secondaries now. So uh, actually, yeah. I can't speak for them, but. It seems like it. I don't know. There's definitely a lot more people getting secondaries, I've heard. Yeah. 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 But which I, I think it's pretty interesting. I don't know. But we, we won't get into that. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is you went through the application process. During that waiting time, you obviously did some things during your gap year. Mm -hmm. Want to talk a little bit more about those gap year activities, what you've kind of learned during that process, how you felt? Because I know something that a lot of people tend to say during that gap year is they, they saw their friends kind of move on and get into the like get into med school or earlier or something like that, you know? Yeah, or and, even like jobs. Yeah, jobs, People right? that like have careers right after college and stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking to seniors now, like even juniors, and I'm like, next year you're done, you know, like you're going into yeah. a, a, the comp side field, you're going to start making money, you're going to start like building your family, basically. I'm going straight back to school, man. Yeah. Like, it's it's kind of crazy. Yeah, the feeling of left, feeling, uh, the feeling of being left behind was very strong, for sure. I, luckily though, I had, I had a good a group of friends here at Chapman and f who never made me feel like that. I think it was just me internally feeling like that. But uh, yeah, so what I did during my time while I was after graduating, uh, as I said, the Shinyo and Fellowship and what kind of inspired that actually was, so the COVID started around my, the spring of my junior year. And so we were sent home right before spring break of my junior year. 
and it continued on through my senior year. Uh, we came back to campus for like maybe one class the spring semester of my senior year. And obviously a lot happened during COVID, a lot of social justice movements. And as I mentioned in my background story, I grew up in a really affluent part of San Jose. And so, Go for it. Okay. So I was like, I, I don't know <laughs> shit about the world, right? Like, I was like, I, I really don't know anything uh, about my community, <laughs> I, about um, anything that goes on around me outside of my comfortable scope of medicine, uh, STEM, and my affluent neighborhoods that I grew up in. And so that really inspired me to step out of my comfort zone and apply for the Shinyoan Fellowship. And also, it's like a Japanese name. So I was like, oh, that's cool. For the longest time, <laughs> I, actually, I actually thought that scholarship was because like you got like some higher ground. Like, no. <laughs> I, I literally thought it was coming like, straight from you. Imagine. I'm not that awesome, though. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I was pretty nervous applying to that fellowship because looking at all of the past recipients, it was all like political science, uh, human services, environmental sciences. And so I was like, what, what can someone with a STEM degree or like a hard sciences degree do here? And, but I just wanted to apply anyways. And then it, I, I obviously got the position. And so my year, you actually got to choose what nonprofit you wanted to work with. I had previous experience through STEM tours, which may or may not still exist. They're, they're a little like, okay. they're dormant. Yeah, they're dormant. Okay, they're just taking a yeah. nap. Um, we worked with Higher Ground in the past, so I knew about their organization. I loved the energy of the kids there when I volunteered there maybe once or twice uh, during my time in STEM tours. And so I was like, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing, but this feels right. I'm going to go work with underserved kids and hopefully try to tie medicine and science into what the work that I do there. The really cool thing about that fellowship is they really leave it open-ended so you could do whatever you want to. Uh, there's no set, like, you need to have a project by this date, this date, whatever. So I took my time, and uh, Professor Lauren Dudley and I uh, were able to develop a STEM curriculum there. So even after I leave, obviously, Professor Lauren Dudley has left. Uh, they can continue on engaging the kids in some sort of STEM experiments. And so that's there. I also taught the parents and families CPR, AED, use uh, I am a American Heart Association certified instructor, so we were able to get certifications out and um, just kind of equip the community to be prepared for anything that might come their way in terms of health or, you know, again, as I mentioned before, inspire some kids to pursue careers in STEM. And so that was my time there. I, I really, you guys have seen it firsthand. I've really developed a deep relationship with a lot of the kids there. Oh, yeah, the time. And, um, yeah, so this year, at the beginning of this year, I was offered the 208 lab teaching position and the Sci320 position, and I was also working as an MA. Uh, we can dive into that if we want to, MA as a medical assistant. And long story short, the MA position wasn't as fulfilling as I wanted it to be, and I, because of this relationship I had with the kids there, quit the MA position, and now I'm working at Higher Ground uh, pretty much full-time because I'm there on Fridays for Sci320, and then I'm there all the other days. So, again, a lot of, I don't want to say community service-heavy, but service-oriented uh, 
activities for me the past two years. I still continue on with uh, CPR AD trainings with Kyle J. Taylor Foundation, Be Kind, and uh, another organization called HeartShield Foundation, uh, and do a lot of that work. I mean, cool. everything that you just talked about, like we see it. I remember the first time we went to higher ground, like all the kids were like, Shun, Shun, Shun. <laughs> That's all you heard. I mean, it, it really goes to show like how much of an impact we like we as students and professors can make on those students' lives. And it, and it matters. It really does. And I think something that you mentioned was you did MA and also like community service. But from what I've heard from you is you really emphasize that community service. Was that something you were worried about, like that you didn't have enough clinical hours going into it? Like, what was your thought process through that? Absolutely. We we talked about this before. Um, I think uh, you'll, I'll have to fact check and maybe you could put it in the show description. But I think I applied with maybe only around like 300, 400 hours of clinical hours. So, you know, you hear, I mean, I have a lot of PA school friends too. And they have 2, to 000, get like 2,000, 3,000. 3, <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh. Impossible. And That's I, crazy. <laughs> So I, I definitely felt like the uh, clinical aspect was missing in my application. And so that's one of the main reasons I took on the MA position this earlier this year, uh, because I still hadn't received any interviews yet. So I was like, oh, might as well uh, spend my time getting more clinical hours, learning about different types of physicians and whatnot. And interestingly enough, I told these two guys, but in all four of my interviews, no one asked about my clinical experiences. They all asked about wow. my community uh, service experiences, which is the Shinyoen Fellowship and uh, all the work that I do at Higher Ground. So I was like, okay, um, maybe, again, this is all professional advice, everybody. <laughs> uh, maybe clinical experience isn't as important as I thought it was. And yeah. so I think what all that is to say is like they could, the adcom can tell that I'm just very passionate about the work that I do, whether it's with Higher Ground or with the Kyle J. Taylor Foundation. And hopefully they're all moving in a direction where they look at you as an entire person, not just your scores and everything. And, you know, they, they say they do, but who knows, right? Right. Um, and so uh, maybe I was able to just show that I genuinely care about medicine and helping people right guys yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> number one reason yeah. <laughs> helping people i really like what, i don't know why but i want like, when i get that question i want to be like i just want to help people you see like their facial reaction and be like i'm just kidding <laughs> no i'm just kidding i just want the money yeah <laughs> funny story actually um so the sorry i'm talking so much but the you're a guest yeah. <laughs> to be. They, they hear us enough they that, us that enough. means we're doing the yeah <laughs> but yeah. so the ma position was for a pcp uh, who owned his own private practice and he was actually a dentist before so he's a dds md and he was telling me like I made so much more money as a dentist than <laughs> a doctor. Like, if whoever says they're going into medicine for the money, like, they're all idiots. Like, <laughs> it's just not worth it, you know? And you, it's, they don't think about all the hours and all the training and all the mental health uh, issues that you have to go through. So he, uh, the one uh, beautiful thing that I received out of this MA experience was when I first got there, he was like, look, I'm not look, I'm not trying to get you into med school. I just needed an MA. <laughs> so the best thing you can do for me or for yourself 
is look at my lifestyle. Uh, note down what time I come in, what time I go home every day, what I do on the weekends, how I spend time with my kids. Like, and you know, uh, he, there was a lot of clinical experiences there. Like I, I was drawing blood, I was giving shots and I, you know, I was getting the ins and outs of what a PCP does, but he was truly like, you're going to learn all that stuff in medical school. Just focus on my lifestyle. That's, that's the best thing you're going to get out of this experience. And again, I'm just not here to get you to med school. So, um, just do your job. I'll be pretty open about letting you see things that you want to see. But the most important thing is just seeing if this lifestyle is for you or not. And that was single-handedly probably one of the best advice that That's I awesome. got yeah. from him. Lo- looks like the new po- podcast name is Pre-Dent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pre-Dental Theory. Pre-Dental. Oh, wait. Theory of Pre-Dent. Theory of Pre-Dent. I screwed it up. Oh. And I will be the new host, not Mo. Yes. So you're better at introductions. Yes. You beat me, dude. Yeah. Um, so we've heard a lot about like your story, and I also kind of want to maybe flip it a little bit and kind of ask you know different things about like advice that you'd give to other people that who maybe need it, like us three. Um, but I was curious of like what advice do you have for people who are um, currently looking to build like a great application, like maybe one that's cohesive that follows some sort of narrative, kind mm. of like how how you did really well. Just spitting out a lot of professional advice today. Um, I think for me, the biggest thing, again, I'm just going to talk for myself, even though you asked kind of generally. The biggest thing was doing things that genuinely made me happy. Um, Obviously, I know that a lot of people's stories aren't going to be the same as mine, and I didn't ask for all the events to happen to where I do community heart screenings and everything, but that's my passion, and I think that showed, and that's what they all asked about. There's, I'm sure you've had guests who've said this before, but the whole checking off things off your application, right? I, I'm, I don't really believe in that. Um, I, I guess I did get lucky in the sense that all of my passions correlate to medicine, but. Um, when you do get an interview and you three are very intelligent people and I am confident that you are going to get plenty of interviews, it's, you don't want to tell the HADCOM people that what they want to hear, what you think they want to hear, right? You just want to talk about something that you're passionate about and something that you've been working uh, really hard for the, over the past couple of years, whatever that may be. And I think that is what led to my success is just really, really... I have a very addictive personality, and I became addicted to things that I was passionate about, which is, uh, I guess, to put it generally, giving back to my community and uh, helping people. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> in conclusion, yes. be addicted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it it kind of sounds like you have a lot of, um, like, you spent a lot of time maybe, like, doing a lot of introspection. I feel like you have a really like well-defined sense of like who you are and what motivates you. Do you do you like spend a lot of time like just sitting down and kind of thinking about like, you know, who kind of am I or like just thinking about that sort of stuff? Absolutely. I I think the time that I cherish the most is when I just don't have anything to do and I could just sit on the couch and just let my r- mind run wild for a little while. Uh, 
pro anacon right like i that gives me sleep issues sometimes but uh that's that's <laughs> my favorite time is really reflecting on my days what happened each day why did i re react like that in a certain way and I, again this is i think all of my experiences have led up to this where i've really built on my emotional intelligence of like self-awareness self-regulation um because i i can't be just acting out when i'm working with kids that have you know a parent in jail or come to come to the after school program with bruises like i can't just act off impulses like i need to really be controlled really self-regulate and um every single day i i at the end of the day i just sit on the couch close my eyes and just think think back on my day and that's my favorite time of the day mm -hmm. and um i when i lost kyle i seeked out a therapist so i see a therapist once a week and uh it's amazing what putting your thoughts into words can do like a lot of the introspection about how my childhood identity japanese american identity influenced how i act today came because i was finally able to put my thoughts into words through talking to a therapist once a week mm. and that's awesome yeah, I really feel like really good. those types of like thoughts and ideas like they don't just come like one day. I feel like it takes a lot of thinking and like reflecting to get there. Absolutely. But, yeah. Cool. Totally. So gap year's done. Now you're going to med school. I mean, what are you expecting from med school? <laughs> Cuz right now like just thinking about me, right? Like for the MCAT, like I'm just trying to envision that process yeah, and yeah. I'm like freaking out. I can't imagine like just waiting till med school starts and knowing that like this is gonna be like it. You're grinding every single day type thing. I mean that's how it feels like for the MCAT, but I know like for med school it's gonna be like ten times worse. Yeah, uh, I think that the same mentality you had kind of led me to choose the school that I'm going to. Um, I didn't give much uh, perspective into why I chose OHSU other than my parents living there, but. During my interview, we, so they're a MMI style and a one-on-one -on -one with the faculty style interview. And so during my MMIs, one of the, um, uh, so um, for those of you that don't know, MMI, multiple mini interviews. So there's like seven to eight rounds of five to six minute interviews with people on the admissions committee. And one of the uh, rotations was with a current medical student. And it was just, you get to it was free to ask whatever question that you wanted to and so uh, i you know obviously i asked her like what what do your days look like how how stressed are you for step one how how are you dealing with your mental health does the school uh, offer a lot of help on that end and she told me sometimes her and her classmates go and take so ohsu is set up so all the exams are on fridays so you have the weekend to kind of relax and the next week if you fail a certain block then you have a remediation week and then everybody else that passed that block will have a one week elective where they can choose whatever elective that they want to so it's like a pretty chill week after a long uh, block of studying and uh, she said she'll sometimes take tests from the mountain uh, close by and then right after the test they'll go out and hit the slopes that's sick and cool. I told <laughs> these two. That's risky but sick. <laughs> yeah, risky but sick. But you know, you you think you know that they're just responsible enough to have studied their butts off in you know the testing environment. Although it may have a factor, like they're 
they know what they're doing. But I told these guys, um, that's the kind of medical school that I want to be at. I want to. Yeah. I want to have a healthy balance of personal life uh, and working hard in school. Obviously, I'm there to be a physician, not a professional skier. So, um, but it was nice to hear that, you know, they're open to doing those sorts of things. And just, it seemed like a really, really good community. The same feeling I got when visiting Chapman University uh, for the first time. It's like, they, these people are going to have my back. Uh, there's going to be no sabotaging each other in class yeah. right uh and um also to kind of the cherry on top was the one-on-one -on -one interview with the faculty she like scanned my entire application down to like the last period on my application like she asked me things that no other med schools did about my application i could just tell that she spent so much time reviewing my actual entire application including my secondaries and she really made me feel at home in the same kind of feeling that the Chapman professors give me in the sense that they really are looking out for your best interest and like they just want you to succeed. So it's really cool. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Tiffany talked a lot about community. Our last guest who, who's in grad school right now and uh, she's at CUSM and she feels the same thing. Like the med students are all like super, super close. Mm -hmm. You know, they go hang out. She carpools with like her friends like all in the same program they just go to school every day like that's a really strong sense of community i feel like a lot of places have that yeah that's awesome really hi tiffany hope you're doing well <laughs> um yeah I, I was just i was telling you guys that i was just listening to that podcast and i think uh although i'm not in the school yet uh you know we got a class discord and oh okay it's uh, you're in the discord already i'm yet? i'm what like, minecraft server yet? yeah no not yet <laughs> we're working on that one but uh yeah so there's been a few visit days to the school and then it's like the upperclassmen will join the discord and be like, hey, we have a few recommendations for stuff you might want to do. Like, we're going to meet up here. Like, if you want to come out, come out. And like, it's just that's like, that's awesome. cool. Yeah. Let's just hang out. You know, let's forget about I mean, you're all in it together, yeah, right? You're exactly. all like suffering and doing the fun stuff together as well. So exactly. Yeah. I think that's definitely something I'm going to look for when I go through that process is definitely like I'm going to think of Chapman and try to compare it to the school because obviously I enjoy my time here, right? So like why change it yeah. type of thing. So that's great advice. Like really looking for those, making those connections and asking those type of questions instead of being that robot that's asking like, oh, like, like the very general questions that like they hear every single day. Yeah. So great advice. Um, but as we start wrapping things up, is there anything like any last things you want to talk about? Um, any things that when you look back at the whole process, undergrad, whatever it is really, um, that you want to bring up that you wish you, you did differently? I, oof, tough question. <laughs> or something you did well that you want to pass on, I guess. Something I, I did well. I, I didn't do Can anything you? well. <laughs> this is where like this would come in play and you could play the elevator music. I just say uh for like ten minutes. Um uh, <laughs> 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 Or maybe no. uh, maybe if you could go back and I guess talk to like your freshman or sophomore yourself, like what is like the piece of advice that you'd give them? Don't do medicine. <laughs> yeah. Go, free go dead. Dead. You can. Go free dead. Uh, I think just, 
I didn't do enough self-reflection. Uh, I think, you know, I'm sure all your listeners and all of you guys have heard, you know, you got to know yourself if you really want to put your best foot forward. But I genuinely believe that, that all the time I spent kind of looking back on all my events and how it influenced who I am today, that allowed me to speak so naturally in my interviews. It, Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've been so natural and here. Yeah, I can tell you I'm were the glad. same in the interview. Uh, yeah, but it's at the end of the day, like your your scores are only such a... I, this sounds so cliche. I hate it. But okay. <laughs> just know yourself. Be confident in yourself. Don't listen to everybody else. If your med school advisor tells you that you can't get in with a 3.7 GPA and a 512 MCAT, don't believe them because the exhibit A... Um, just find something that you're passionate about. Don't be worried about checking off the checklists. Um, obviously, you need to kind of get your feet wet in those different areas. And it's it's not to check that off the box. It's to figure out if it's meant for you or not, right? Like, uh, I I did research, and I was lucky to get three publications out of it. But that also made me realize I don't want to spend my a lot of my time grant writing. I want to spend my time working with patients. And I have so much respect for PhDs because they they do so much work and they have the ability to impact people on a bigger scale. But I can't do that. That's just because I know myself and uh, I don't have that grit and perseverance. But also with clinical experiences, right? You you don't know if you want to be a doctor until you see a doctor in action. So like, don't think of it as checklist stuff, right? Like, don't think of it, oh, I need more community service hours. I need more clinical hours. Do it because you want to and you want to figure yourself out. And you don't want to get to med school and realize that I don't want to do this or like, oh, I wish I did PhD. So really, really, like, I hate when people tell me like, oh, can I is there anything for me to do for community service? Like, I just want more hours, whatever. Like, to buff up your application or because you genuinely want to, like, do that, right? Um, yeah, but sorry. Why I not wanna, both? Yeah, right? exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but, yeah. Awesome. Sorry, that was a little cool. intense. Great no, advice. You're absolutely right. And I think with, like, anything pre-med advice, anything like that, I think the best thing you could do is, like, give it straightforward instead of just like sugarcoating it. I think that was like a great example of it. Um, but something we typically do at the end of every episode is the most pre-med thing to say, but you're not a pre-med anymore because you're a prospective <laughs> med school student. Oh my so gosh. what is the most prospective <laughs> med school student thing to say? I'll give the floor to you. This is always hard for everyone, by the way, to, to come up with this on the spot. Well, can you give me some context? Yeah, so like any any phrase that you might hear like, your friends saying or like any prospective med student like i don't know what what have we said in the past for, for pre-med pre it's friday night and i gotta go study yeah. more yeah something like, like that oh okay yeah yeah as a prospective student yeah possibly. i feel like i have so much more as a pre-med student but you can do both give us a one two okay, you can uh, also just do pre-med <laughs> pre-med is oh my gosh i only slept like two hours last night <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then prospective student is, uh, 
I just quit my job. <laughs> 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 I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a really good that one. That was a really good one. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for coming out. We really appreciate you. This was definitely very eye-opening for me. Um, and I, I think I could speak for both Nathan and Todd as well. They definitely, like, I'm sure we all learned a lot from it. Yeah. And I'm hoping our audience members also learned as much as we did. Um, as always, I think you're a great example of like, no matter what it is, no matter what your path is, if you have a goal, you could achieve it. The scores are only just a part of the application. And as long as you're, you're holding yourself true or you're holding true to yourself, you're, you're able to accomplish whatever you need to do. Don't let anyone hold you back. Don't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do. What matters is what you want to do. So as yeah. always, thank you everyone for coming out, um, listening in. And as always, um, thank you to Chapman Radio. Make sure to follow us on all our social media at Theory Premed. And starting two weeks ago, we started doing TikToks every or every what? single week. Yeah. <laughs> so Shin, you you might have to like and follow us on TikTok. Of course. Um, and episodes every other Tuesday at eight a.m. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. Thanks Bye. for having me, guys. <laughs>